Hey, and thanks so much for taking a moment to visit our podcast. Our mission at Antioch FBC is to grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus and go to our neighbors in the nations. We want you to be encouraged by this podcast and hope even more that you would come be a part of what God is doing in the community of Antioch. To find out more, visit us at www.antiochfirstbaptist.org. And now, stay tuned for a message from Pastor Matt. See to it that you do not despise one of these little ones, because I tell you that in heaven their angels continually view the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If someone has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, won't he leave the ninety-nine on the hillside and go and search for the stray? And if he finds it, I, t- I truly tell you, he rejoices over that sheep more than over the ninety-nine. That did not go astray. In the same way, it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. I'm so glad. This is the word of the Lord. There we go. Amen. Thank you, Lynn. As I said earlier, we're continuing. We've been preaching through the book of Matthew, and uh, we come to a somewhat familiar parable, maybe. Um, if you have been in and around the church for some time, you may have heard of this parable specifically. Um, I, I think as I have approached this, this, my study for this passage, um, I've seen some things that I had, hadn't seen before, and so they have given me some incredible hope as I've studied through this passage, and I pray that as we walk through it together that you will see that same hope this morning. As we've mentioned, we kind of do, we're jumping into the middle of Jesus' sermon here, so I don't want to leave anyone hanging. If you've not been with us or if you've missed a couple weeks, what Jesus is in the middle of preaching is what scholars call the Sermon on Community. Some have called it the Mini Sermon on the Mount. And as we've noted, as we're going to see, particularly here in chapter 18, he is talking to us as how we are to operate as a church. Chapter 19, we're going to see how we're to operate in the home. And then chapter 20, we're going to operate how we operate in the workplace. And so we see Jesus again using this, this, this parable as he has done much times before. He uses parables to help better explain a point that he is trying to make. And in the text today, it's the parable of the lost sheep. Now, if you have worshipped with us regularly, you know that it is our practice before we open up the text to take, again, a moment of silence just to ask the Lord to prepare our hearts to hear. But before we do that, some of you get started early. So if you're already there, hold on. Um, I want to share a quick story with you before we get there. A couple weeks ago, I had the honor of being asked to go and preach at the college ministry of West Jackson Baptist Church, which is a church right outside of Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. One of my dearest friends is the college pastor there, and he called and said, hey, Matt, I'd love for you to come and speak to our our college ministry on Wednesday night, and so I did, and about 150 or so college-age kids were there, and I got to, to do that, and 
in my normal, I don't do anything different when I go and preach. And so right before I got into the text, I said, hey, this may be a different practice for some of you, but we're going to do this. We're going to take a moment of silence. And I explained why we do that to ready our hearts, ask the spirit to give us ears to hear. And Joe called me on Tuesday this week and he told me this story. He said, there was a girl in attendance the night that I was preaching whose roommate had been asking her to come to this Wednesday college gathering. And so she came on that particular Wednesday night that I was there. And so as she is there, we did this moment of silence like we do here and the next day, the roommate asked her and said, hey, what did you think about that? How, how did you, you know, you haven't gone to that service before. What did, what did you think about Wednesday night at West Jackson Baptist Church? And they got to talking. And in the midst of that conversation, the girl said, I'm ready to profess faith in Jesus. And her roommate prayed with her, and she received Christ. And then she took her to Pastor Joe, who is the college pastor, and, and they met with he and his wife, Corey. And here's what the girl said. And I'm reading this. It was during the moment of silence and, and reflection at the beginning of service where it all clicked for me. She said, I've been taking in all this information, and I hadn't ever just sat and thought about how it was affecting me until the moment when the speaker asked us to stop and get ready to receive from the Lord. That's why we do this. That's why it's so important for us as a family of believers to have all of the spiritual disciplines incorporated into our life. And one of those spiritual disciplines is silence and solitude. And so you may have wondered, like, why do we do that? Why do we take that time? And so we do that so that we can spend time just being silent. And we ask that the Spirit would work. And so this morning, let's do just that. Let's take a moment of silence. Let's prepare our ears to hear our minds to be renewed, our hearts to be softened. And we acknowledge each time we do this that silence sometimes is a hard thing to do. Many times our thoughts, our minds are racing. And, and so if in this time you find your mind racing or you find your thoughts sort of bombarding you, simply pray this prayer, Holy Spirit, give me ears to hear. So let's do just that. Amen. So let's start in verse 10. Just that very first section, it says, see to it that you don't despise one of these little ones. Uh, again, as I've said, we're in the middle of Jesus preaching this sermon. And so sort of jumping into this passage could be a little confusing. And so we, we want to make sure we understand the context and the wording that he is using. He, he says here, don't despise one of the little ones. 
Now, now what we need to do is just in a previous verses, we specifically see, if you look back in verse 3 of chapter 18, Jesus begins this sermon by answering a question from the disciples about who is the greatest. And in verse 3, he tells them in his answer, come to me like little children. And so in our text today, when we see the words little ones, what he's he's referencing to or referring back to are these baby Christians. These little ones who have just come to faith. They're just beginning to learn. Think think of it like this way. Think of it like a toddler. Jesus referenced it. He brought a child in front of them when he made this connection. And if we look at a toddler learning to walk, we watch them sort of move around, almost like Frankenstein, right? That's kind of their first steps of figuring out how to walk. But if we're sitting around and we're watching a toddler like learn how to walk, we don't sneer and make fun of them, do we? At least not to their face. Their parent, at least not of their parents' face, maybe on the way home, but they're trying to figure out something new, right? It's just the beginning. They're learning how to do something for the first time. When you have a toddler learning to walk, you don't stand back and like critique his technique. We don't get it up in arms if, if they fall down and then they try to go back crawling again. No, we just simply encourage them, hey, get back up, try again. But there's also something that Jesus is saying here about little ones in this first verse. He's saying, don't despise a new believer. Don't put too much expectation on someone who is maybe immature in the faith, that maybe they need to be taught an opportunity or taught how to learn. But it also can mean this. He can also be talking about or specifically referencing someone maybe who is a believer who has professed their faith. They could still be considered a little one if they're not developed in their faith. Maybe because they have not had a good discipleship opportunity as they believed. So it's not necessarily just about time, okay? So when we say new believer, it doesn't mean that just someone who's come to faith here recently, time span-wise. It could be someone who has come to faith years and years and years ago, but through the lack of discipleship have sort of remained this little one. And so when you have that, you, you can also look at someone as a little one. It could also be understood as one who may have wandered from the faith because of lack of foundation, or maybe one who is running away from God. See, either way, this immaturity or this lack of discipleship has led to the fact that the temptation has possibly gotten the best of someone. Maybe they're temporarily believing the lies of Satan more than the truths of God's word, and they've gone astray. Either way, whichever category that might fall into, Jesus says, do not despise them. And that word despise can take on several different meanings. Primarily, I think what we immediately may think of, it, it means don't look down upon someone as inferior or not worth consideration or care. You know, we could also despise someone if we sort of flaunt freedom in front of them. Maybe someone is still struggling with a particular temptation. Maybe someone is still struggling with a particular sin. And God may have delivered you 
from incredible circumstances. But just because they haven't experienced a deliverance from God yet doesn't mean that we look down upon them. Doesn't mean that we push them aside. I don't know everyone's story in the room, but there is potential that some even in the room who maybe were once alcoholics have been freed. Maybe there are some in the room who were once drug addicts are now sober. Whatever sin you want to put into that category, we know that God has liberated and has freed some who have struggled. So if you have been saved from a horrible past, you absolutely should praise God, but don't flaunt it. Don't flaunt it like you did it all by yourself. Now, you may have worked a program, you may have done the steps, but remember, ultimately, it was God who brought you out of the pit. And so before, yeah, so before you look down on someone who is caught in that pit, remember what God has done, and then instead of looking down at someone, reach down. Yeah. Instead of, instead of looking down at someone, would you reach down your hand to your brother or sister and help them out? Or the flip side, maybe you've not dealt with addiction. Maybe you've not dealt with any of that. Maybe God has spared you from any like public dealing with sin, but just because you were spared doesn't give us the right to look down on others who are caught in those public sins, thinking that we're better than they are. Because in reality, even though our sin may not be public, it still makes us just as guilty. So we need to understand what Jesus is saying here. Don't despise the little ones. Don't despise those who have gone astray. It's so easy for us to look down those, to look down our nose at those who have truly believed, who may have truly been saved, but through temptation, Satan has them falling back into sin. When a brother or sister falls into sin, it's easy for us to think or even say, well, they knew better. Or maybe even, yeah, they deserve what they're getting now. They deserve the consequences for their actions. And we'll welcome them back in if they'll just get their act together. That's not how Jesus instructs us to operate as a church. This is not how we have been shown by Jesus to respond to our wayward brothers and sisters. And Jesus gives us this parable to show us how we are to pursue those little ones the same way Jesus pursued us when we were also dead in our trespasses and sins. And Jesus shows us how, both in this passage that we're going to deal with today, but also in our passage coming up. But look at verse 10, the rest of verse 10. It says, see to it that you don't despise one of these little ones because I tell you that in heaven their angels continually view the face of my father in heaven. Uh, there's so much confusion within the world, but also within the church about angels. Angels are beings that were created by God, okay? Okay. They were created by God for the sole purpose of carrying out the assignments that is given to them by God. 
And I think sometimes when our loved ones go to heaven, it eases our pain to say, oh, now they're in heaven as an angel. That's just not true. And so what we need to understand is our loved ones who have gone before us have not become angels because angels were created beings by God. So angels were created as lesser beings than humans because humans are created in the image of God. So when we say that our loved ones have gone on to create or to be angels in heaven for us, we're actually devaluing how God created them in the first place. He created us in his image, not the angels. The angels specifically, as scripture says, were created as lesser than humans. We were the ones created in the image of God. And honestly, when you look at the description of angels that is given to us in scripture, they're terrifying. Have you looked and seen in Revelation how it says the multiple eyes that are there, the, stand, the wings that stretch out, like they are terrifying things. And so we, 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 we need to make sure we understand Now, these angels mentioned here are created to be ready to do the ministry on our behalf at God's instructions, which is why it says that they are always keeping their eyes on him, ready to do his will. But then Jesus helps the disciples specifically and the crowds listening by sharing this parable to them. And I think it helps us understand a bit better what he is trying to do. To convey. Now, if you look in your Bible, we're, we're, we're reading out of the CSB. Anybody else reading out of the CSB? No, there's a few. What happens in the CSB from 10? What's next? Anybody notice this? There's no 11. Have you seen that? Some of your Bibles may have an 11, but if you look at the the later translations, there's not a verse 11. Verse 11 was actually omitted, and it's, I'll I'll give it. So it says, verse 11 says, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. And what happened is when they were translating the manuscripts, Luke actually sort of says something particular to this. But Matthew actually never said it. And so as they were copying the translations, some people, they realized, just sort of added in that verse, borrowing from Luke, but Matthew never said it, and they caught it. And so in our current translations, that's why verse 11 is omitted, because they want to be as true to the original manuscripts as we possibly can, and there's proof that Matthew actually never wrote that statement in his gospel, Someone, as they were translating, just borrowed it from Luke. So that, that may be, you look at that and go, well, my Bible doesn't have a verse 11. If you go down, some of you have a footnote. It explains why that happened. So let's look at verse 12. What do you think? If someone has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, won't he leave the 99 on the hillside and go and search for the stray? Now, you may have heard this parable before, like I have, and thought it was meant that the shepherd would go to any lengths to save someone who was lost. And that is absolutely true in the sense that Jesus does pursue and save the lost. But the realization in my studying for this passage, and I've confirmed it through a lot of, a lot of scholars, 
This parable is not about an unsaved person who is lost that Jesus now saves. This parable is about a believer who has trusted in Jesus but has gone astray or fallen away and become lost in pursuit of temptation and sin. And I think this has a lot to speak of where we are in the culture right now. Because when you look at this in conjunction with what Jesus has said in the Gospel of Matthew that we will then see later on, you can see how we come to this understanding. Now, you can turn there with me or you can watch on the screen. I've got it both ways. But if you look a little few chapters over in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, read verses 31 through 35, 34 with me. Here's what it says. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. And here, he will separate them from one another just as the shepherd has separated the sheep and the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So therefore, anyone in scripture who is called a sheep falls into that category. Anyone who is a sheep has already been brought into the fold from the foundation of the world. So a sheep is someone who will inherit the kingdom of God. And so if we take that same understanding and use it in our text today, the shepherd is not going after someone who is lost or an unbeliever. Instead, he is going after his sheep. A sheep that has believed on him. A sheep that has trusted in him. But a sheep that has gone astray and become lost. The big overarching doctrine, if you want to get the theological terms in there, that are exemplified in this passage are called the perseverance of the saints. Meaning that all those who God saves will be kept until the end. And if one of his sheep goes astray, which we are all susceptible to do, we should not despise them Because God will go after them and not keep them lost. God loves his sheep. He pursues his sheep. And even when his sheep go astray, he pursues them and he goes after them. Look look what happens in verse 13. And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over that sheep more than over the 99 that did not go astray. The Lord rejoices over that lost sheep that has been found and been brought back into the fold. He rejoices over it more than the 99. Now, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love the 99. It doesn't mean that that he doesn't love them or is not celebrating them, but the 99 are at home. They are with the shepherd. 
But praise be to God when one of his sheep who has lost has been found and brought back home. Our shepherd celebrates that. So we are not to despise those who have gone astray. We are to follow the example given to us by Jesus to pursue them. We're not to talk bad about them who are caught up in sin. We are to go after them. This correlation of the 99 and the one, of Jesus saying that I was more, I was celebrating more the one who I found versus the 99. You can compare this idea to the parable of the prodigal son. And you have this very similar interaction with the older son who is at home who starts throwing his nose up at the younger son and at the father because what happens when the son comes back from the pigsty, his father begins celebrating him. He begins throwing a banquet for him. He begins putting on a robe and giving him a reek. What does the son at home say? This one went off and was lost. Why are you celebrating him? You see that correlation there? So that's what Jesus is talking about. The celebration is a son who was lost has now been brought home. I think sometimes when we see our fellow brothers and sisters, and I use brothers and sisters specifically because I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about those within the church. When we see our believing brothers and sisters straying, I think sometimes we think that if we pursue them, that we're judging them. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says we are to pursue them. If they are living in unrepentant sin, we are loving them like the good shepherd loves them when we pursue them. Now we're going to get some very specific instructions on how to do that in our text next week. But look what Jesus says in verse 14. It says, in the same way, It is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones perish. It is not the will of our Father that any of these little ones perish. It is the will of the Father that all his sheep return to the fold. Here's the hope that I was able to realize this week that I want to hopefully impart to you this morning. When we understand this parable this way, it should give us immense hope. Here's what I mean. If you have a loved one in your life who you know has genuinely professed in Jesus, who has truly forsaken his sin or her sin and confessed that Jesus is Lord, but yet, in through temptation or through sin, they may be currently caught up in right now. You can rest assured by these words of Jesus that he will go after them and he will bring them back. Don't stop praying for your loved one who right now may not be living the truth that they once believed. Don't stop pursuing your loved one who have believed the truth but may not be living the truth right now. 
I know it's easy for us to look at the current state of their life and go, well, what happened? I watched them believe. I know they profess Jesus. Why are they living the way that they are? And it's easier for us to just give up in that moment, right? But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus saw the one, the one sheep in his pasture that had gone astray, and he went after it. He pursued it, and he brought it back home. So it may look like right now that they have forgotten everything that you know they truly profess to believe, but according to this, and according to what Jesus says, he will pursue them. He will not give up on them. He will go and get them and bring them back in to the fold. Guys, that's hope. That's hope for us who have loved ones who are straying. Jesus is the good shepherd who will go after his own. Do you know how we know this? He says it to us in John 6, 37. He said, everyone, everyone the Father gives me will come to me. That's not questionable language. That's not hope. That's not maybe. That's not we, 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 we hope that that happens. No, that's definitive language. Every one the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. That's the perseverance of the saints. And praise be to God that it's not up to us to hold on to his hand. He's got ours. Praise be to God that it's not up to us to do everything right, to keep our act together, to stop sinning altogether. We're still going to struggle with that sin here on earth. But the hope is not in our grip on him. The hope is that he has gotten us and he will never let go. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. We can trust that those who have truly professed and believed on his name will never be cast out. JJ, come on up. But in order to have that assurance, you have to believe. In order to, to be able to say all of that we talked about this morning is about me, then you have to believe. And you have to trust that Jesus is the Christ. Maybe you've never trusted in Jesus. You, you don't know of this care from the good shepherd. Maybe you've been trying to shepherd your life on your own and you know it's not working. There is a good shepherd and his name is Jesus. And Jesus alone And even though he was God, he saw fit to come to earth, put on human flesh. He lived a perfect life. He was murdered on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And he was buried in the grave, but the grave could not hold him. And he was raised to life. And he did all of this for you. So if you have not believed that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, if you have not believed in him, would you do so this morning and come under his care and repent of your sin and confess that he is Lord?
For those who have believed and professed, if you are here and you are running and straying, your good shepherd is pursuing you. Even the fact that you would hear this morning that he is pursuing you, that he is coming after you is good news. Would you repent? Would you confess that even though you once believed, you've let temptation and you've let the, the, all the things that Satan has laid before you turn your vision? Would you come back? But if you've believed this morning, maybe we, we find ourselves at a point in time where we have despised the little ones, because it's easier to do it that way, right? It's easier to look down upon those who are running. It's easier to look down and, and make an excuse for those who are straying, as opposed to taking the time and the love and the care to pursue those. So if you have someone in your life right now that you know has professed in Jesus, but they are running and they are straying, instead of looking down at them, would you repent this morning and pursue them like Jesus is pursuing them? Would you love them? But maybe this morning you're here and, and, and you have lost hope. Maybe you are watching the life of your loved one, whether it's your son, your daughter, your family member, or a, a close friend, and you've watched and know that they are truly believers in Jesus. They have absolutely professed in him, but the way they're living now does not display that. And you're just, it's so easy for us to get caught up in how we see them living now. And this morning, I want to offer hope to you. Hope in the one who has saved you, hope in the one who has saved them, and hope in the good shepherd who is pursuing them, even though they now seem as if they're lost. Yeah. yeah. So that's how this message brings us hope this morning, is that Jesus is the one. He is the good shepherd. He is the one clinging to us. So let's take some time this morning to reflect on those things.